Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. We know that God is displeased with His people. We know that He has already pronounced judgment, that judgment is coming. We also know that Habakkuk the prophet, he has understood this, he knows what God has said, but he is not at peace with it. And therefore, he wants clarification. He is confused, not by what God has said, but why God has said it. And he's hoping, as so frequently is the case, that a prophet, knowing and seeing the vision, he doesn't want to see this, this, this travesty, this, this hardship, this suffering fall upon his people. But God is righteous. God's ways are proper. And therefore, he's standing before God, wanting a clarification, wanting to understand better what he has received. So with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to that second chapter of the prophecy of Habakkuk. We'll begin in verse 1. Now, remember, we have said in our first two studies of this prophecy that God is displeased and he has raised up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to act as an instrument of punishment. Not because they are a righteous people. In fact, we're going to see how unrighteous the Babylonians were. And we're going to understand that this is why Habakkuk is confused. Why pick a, a unrighteous people to punish a disobedient people? Why not have a better people, a good people, a righteous people punish the unrighteous? So Habakkuk is standing, wanting and waiting for a response from God. Look at verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1. The prophet speaks and he says, Upon my watch. Now, this is a word for guarding. And, and most see this as a place where the prophet would go and pray. Where he would, would come before God. Now, perhaps this was his, his habit, his custom. But now he's doing it with a greater sense of purpose, as I said, to come to a greater understanding of what was this prophetic vision, this, this word that he received from God. Why this way? And at what time? And can it be averted? So he says, upon my watch place, I will stand. And I have position literally i have taken a stance and this word speaks of stability meaning that habakkuk he is there he has come in order to learn from god but he has an expectation 
that God will indeed make clear what, what he has seen. So he says, I have taken my stand upon, and then we have a word, matzor. Now, usually, this word means a siege, a city being laid siege. It can refer to the ramp that was built for that, to overcome that, that city walls. But, but most of the rabbinical commentators say that, that this has not happened yet. Only has Habakkuk heard what will be. And later on in this passage that we're, we're studying this evening, we're going to see that the fulfillment of this vision is, is not coming immediately, meaning the Babylonians haven't set up. They are, are not in Judah. They have not laid siege against the city, which they're going to do. And therefore, the rabbinical commentators, they say this word matzor should be understood as a fortress, referring to perhaps the city of Jerusalem, those, those mighty and glorious walls around it, that, that, that Habakkuk has taken his position there upon the walls where he is going to communicate with God. And he says, I will look, and this is a word for, for expecting. A, a word of anticipation. So we could translate it, I will expect to see what he will speak with me. So Habakkuk wants a response from God. He wants a clarification concerning this vision, this vision of judgment, this vision of punishment that was so severe that he saw upon his people. So he's expecting God that he will speak with him. And then he says, and what I will return concerning. Now, most see this as a word of reproach. But, but once again, if we look at it carefully, it could be, be referring to simply Habakkuk saying, my argument. It's a word of contention. Simply, Habakkuk doesn't like what he heard. He's not happy about what God says is coming. And he wants to know, can this be avoided? This is his heart. That somehow that God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, something, this wonderful forgiving nature of God might, might be extended once more so that the vision that he saw would not become a reality. So he wants a response to, to this argument, this, this complaint that he's made before God. Verse 2. Now, he's going to get a response. God is going to answer him. But it's not going to be the answer that Habakkuk wanted. It's not going to be the explanation that he thought he would receive. Notice what it says in, in verse 2. It simply says, and the Lord, he answered me, and he said. Now, he didn't give an explanation. He didn't respond to this argument, this contention that, that Habakkuk presented before him. God simply says, write, and here's the proof that he received a vision. God says, write the vision 
And the next word is a word of, of clarity. We might translate it, make this vision clear. Make it easy to, to read, in other words, to the extent. It says, write it and, and clarify it. Make it clear upon the tablets. Now, this is interesting for a couple different reasons. First of all, this word, luchot, is the same word for, for the tablets that the law was, was written in. Now, most scholars see this word luach having to do with something that is, is a greater permanence than something that's written on parchment, a scroll. So God is saying, write this upon tablets. Why? This is going to have long-term consequences. This is something that the people are going to remember in the same way that they were called to remember the Torah written on 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 tablets they need to remember this event the Babylonian issue of the captivity and the punishment that came upon the people that led to those 70 years of captivity was something that left a very strong scar upon the people not just physically, but emotionally. Babylon carries a great deal of, of significance in its meaning, how we should understand it. And we know that Babylon, for example, is used in regard to the last days, bringing and conjuring up all those thoughts that one would have remembering the Babylonian punishment, that judgment, remembering that in light of what's going to happen in the last days. So God speaks, look again at verse, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, and he said, Write the vision. Make it clear upon the tablets. Now, some have pointed out perhaps tablets are used there because of what we've said about the Torah, the commandments of God being written on tablets. And maybe it's a reference that because they did not follow what was written on, on those tablets, they're going to experience what is written on these tablets. Significant that the things here are written in the plural, meaning in tablets being in the plural. And it's so clear, it says, on account that, that he that will run, he's the reader of it meaning he will read it even while running now running obviously you're moving up and down it's harder to focus so these things are so and we would use the hebrew term bolet so enunciated so so clear that that you can't miss it now all of this has a purpose and that is to to reinforce to make very very evident to habakkuk this vision is going to happen. Now, if we didn't glean that from this first part, what he's saying, as we keep reading, God makes it even more clear that this is going to take place. Look now to verse, verse 3. For still, this vision is for, notice the word, moed. 
Now, many of you know Moedim, the appointed times, and we're speaking about the festivals of the Lord that he entrusted to Israel for them to share that with the world. So this term, Moed, and God says, and let's look at it very carefully, verse 3, Ki od, for more or still or, or yet, yet is the vision, and it's designated for an appointed time, meaning this, that there's a day that God has set aside for this. God knows it. He has marked it, and he's saying to Habakkuk, it's going to become a reality. Now, notice the next phrase, a word of, of great significance, not all that popular throughout the scripture, meaning its frequency, but, but this same root appears when God, it says, breathe the, the breath of life into man. And this is the same word for breathing. Now, context. Most Bibles, and I don't have a problem with this, most Bibles simply translate it as, as he has spoken. Because when we breathe, we, we, when we speak, breath comes out. So it could be a reference for speaking. And remember, prophecy, most of the time, has a poetic character. And what's that chief characteristic of Hebrew poetry? Parallelism. And we see that we see parallel here with the word ve'yafeach is the word yechazev, which is related to falsehood or lying. So we could say, if we look again at verse 3, for, for this vision is still for an appointed time, and it will, will be breathed to the end, meaning it's designated in for the outcome that God wants. God's breathing, or we could understand it, he's speaking this, this in and making it a reality. And he says, which means it, it won't be false. This will never be thought of as, as something that is untrue, a lie. God only speaks reality. And over and over, God is telling Habakkuk, this is going to happen. Now, it shouldn't surprise us because Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah the prophet, as he was getting ready to intercede in prayer for Judah, the same situation, a different time, but the same purpose. God spoke to Jeremiah, and he said to Jeremiah, do not pray for this people. Why? They had passed the point of repentance. God said, enough. He spoke his judgment upon Judah, and it was going to become a reality. It was appointed for that designated time, and it was going to, to take place. God had bro breathed it, that had spoken it, into a future reality. And then he says, look at the middle of verse 3, im yitmameha, which means if, if it should be delayed, if it doesn't come, what does he say? Wait for it. For it will surely, now this is the word for coming twice. So we might translate it, it is utterly going to come. It will not be, notice in the verse, 
it will not be late. This punishment is coming at exactly the right time. The time by which God designated it to take place. And we'll find more about that as we, we continue in the weeks to come when this prophecy becomes clearer and, and more things are revealed about what God is up to. Now look at verse 4. Now for our call to worship, we read the last part of verse 4. Now we want to read and study the entire verse. Now we see here, and that Babylon, not a good nation. Not a nation that is in any way moved by, by righteousness, by that which is proper. But, but what really is the foundation of, of this nation, this empire? Well, you see it right away. He says, behold, and then we have a word for, for pride. A word for self-exaltation. A word that focuses on self instead of God. That's the Babylonians. And you say, well, the Babylonians had many gods. They were a worshipful people. No, we never should, should put together the concept of worship with, with idolatry. Idolatrous practices never should be thought of as worship. Worship is distinct. Worship is drawing near to the one God. Now, I say one God, but obviously, as I mentioned earlier, when we were reading the Shema, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three equaling one and one equaling three. Now, you say, can you explain that? Understand, God is beyond sometimes. The character of God is beyond what we can comprehend and what we can, can articulate with the limitations of, of a human mind. So look again at verse 4, behold, we could say a prideful one. And what does pride bring about? Notice it says, not straight. He's not upright. Where? His soul is not upright or straight within him. He has a soul that is not upright. Meaning this, he has a spiritual problem. Now, why would God use such a one? Well, here again, it is Babylon. We could do it in the plural, the, the Chaldeans. Everything about them is wicked. They are idolaters. They are, are people that, that take advantage and, and their kingdom is based upon injustice. No pity will see this in a moment. They don't know about mercy. They don't know about forgiveness. For them, power makes right. And wealth purchases whatever you want. So we see here that this pride makes one's soul not, not upright, not straight, not what it should be. And then he's going to contrast that with something. Now, he's going to, as we, we saw a few minutes ago in our call to worship, He's going to speak about a righteous one. And what we see here is a contrast. And we need to see in the scripture that God speaks frequently in contrast. Good and evil. Light and darkness. 
All these things, right and wrong. And here we see there is pride, and pride makes one in a position whereby they cannot demonstrate righteousness. Righteousness is brought about through humility, through submissiveness, through obedience, through surrender. Well, pride makes righteousness an impossibility. So he says in the first half about this prideful one, this self-exalting one who's not straight in his soul, but he says a righteous one in his faith or with his faith, he will live. Meaning this, the word faith is, is established from the same word as truth. We need to know that they come from the same root. So faith is always rooted in truth. And what it's saying here is a righteous one will take truth with his truth. That's going to be what manifests his life behavior. So we're going to behave based upon what we consider to be true. And we only have truth when we consider to be true the revelation of God, his word. So this is the same passage that, that's oftentimes translated, the just will live by faith. And we hear that from a new covenant perspective and think, well, those who have been justified, they will live, have eternal life by faith. Faith justifies them. Faith makes them righteous. And that produces, this, this justification produces eternal life. Now, all of that's true. But in this original context, it's simply saying how the righteous one with truth, he applies truth to his life. This is how he will live. Verse 5. In contrast to a righteous one, we see another one. Instead of being influenced by truth, what's he influenced by? Well, notice. And for the wine. And the next word is that which is treacherous, that which is betraying, that which is, is rooted in, rooted in a betrayed of someone. Betraying the word of God, betraying the purposes of God. And what's the source? Wine. Now, wine was used in, in pagan worship to a very large degree. And we see wine is really an escape alcohol in general one drinks because he or she is wanting to to escape something there is not that inner peace therefore this one drinks so it says for wine is treacherous and a prideful man he will not notice this next word now some bibles will say will not stay at home really don't know how they get that from this, this word. The word neve can be like an oasis, something that is beautiful. And what it's simply telling us here is pride does not make someone beautiful. Pride produces an ugliness in our behavior, an ugliness in our, our attitude. Pride, there's nothing that's good that comes from pride. Pride brings about destruction. So all the scripture is saying is that the wine 
produces a treacherous behavior. And the prideful man, he is not someone who is fitting someone that is, is pretty, meaning he doesn't behave in an appropriate way. And what happens? Gives an example. Whom broadens as Sheol his soul. Now, Sheol, we know that there's a, another scripture in the book of Isaiah that speaks about how Sheol, and here we're talking about specifically a place of punishment. Now, Sheol, we can think of it another term, the abyss. When you think of the abyss spiritually, who comes into your mind? Satan. And Satan wants more and more and more souls to fill his abyss. That's what he wants to do. He rejoices with hell being broadened. This is the same one that wants more and more of what his pride produces. And the image here is this. His pride produces that which causes hell to be broadened. And then it says, as we keep reading, for he, as death, is never satisfied. Meaning this, death has a, a degree of permanence, meaning death literally never ends. We're talking about a spiritual death. And it's saying here, he never can be brought to satisfaction, just like death. Once one dies, there's nothing that changes that. That one who has rejected that covenant, who has not accepted the gospel, he is going to be in the state of eternal death just for that, forever and ever and ever. No change. In the same way that one who is not in a covenant relationship with God can never be satisfied. Now, when we accept the truth of God, when we accept the good news of God, it brings about a contentment. That's why Paul says, I've learned the, the truth, that secret truth found in the Word of God about how to be content. It's a reference to that same peace that passes all understanding, that ability to be suffering but rejoicing. There is a contentment with the truth of God. Not so with with pride it says here and he will gather unto him all the nations now this is what babylon wants to do babylon wants to take control over every nation now when we are are ruled by sin by the way you're either going to be ruled by sin or be ruled by the spirit you're going to be ruled by someone there's going to be an authority, an absolute authority over your life. And it will either be the enemy or it will be your Savior. No other possibility. There's only one Savior, Messiah Yeshua. So either He's the Lord of your life or you are in bondage to serve Satan. Now, that's not popular. People don't want to hear that. In fact, in many places, they, they won't even allow you to say that at conferences they don't want to put forth that but this is factual spiritually so this one's never satisfied this one as it says here in regard to babylon he will gather unto him that's his objective all the nations 
and will be gathered unto him all the peoples, meaning all nations, all, all ethnic groups, all people in general. Verse 6. Surely all of these unto him will lift up this, this proverb. Now concerning Babylon, and just make it a little bit broader, all that, those that have that Nebuchadnezzar spirit, a spirit of pride, a spirit of self-exaltation, a, a, a spirit of never being satisfied, wanting more and more and more, and there's a, a frustration within. You know, lots of times people say, ooh, I really would like to have that. And no sooner do they get it than they are looking for the next thing. There's not that, that contentment. This is what it's saying here about this, this enemy. And he wants to add more and more nations under his authority. Therefore, again, verse 6, surely all of them will say unto him, this, this proverb, they're going to lift up. That's literally what it says. Lift up this proverb. All of them together are going to lift up this proverb and then it has a phrase which means kind of a, a taunting or a mocking riddle unto him. Now, they're going to say something in regard to him based upon his objectives, the way that he thinks, the way that, that he behaves. And what are they going to say? Well, listen, end of verse 6. He will say, this can mean this, this proverb, this, this taunting riddle. He will say, woe to the one who, who acquires much that's not his. Now, again, there's two ways to understand this. Woe to the one who acquires much that's not to him, meaning two things. One is he's taking things that don't belong to him. God did not speak when the scripture says, I am raising up Babylon to punish Israel. What God says in, in a practical sense, I'm going to allow that. Babylon came to that conclusion of wanting to attack Judah on their own. Based upon what? Based upon pride, based upon power and resources, based upon seeing Judah and being against, not agreeing with this nation, they wanted to, to take control of it. And therefore, this parable is going to be lifted up, this, 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 this taunting or tantalizing riddle, where it says, woe to the one who adds things that are not to him, meaning God never intended that to be. When we take things that don't belong to us and God didn't intend for us to have, that's why it's so important to be submissive to God. Because those things that, that we take that do not belong to us, that God didn't intend for us to, to possess, being in possession of them is like a bullseye for the judgment of God. It will come. Remember what he said earlier. If it tarries, know that it's coming. If it seems late, it's, it's not going to be late. 
it's going to come at the designated time. Now, this is a message for Judah, but we're going to see that same message is going to be visited past, back on Babylon later on. They're going to come to an end, and we know how through the Medes and the Persians. Look now to, to the second part of verse 6 where it says, Woe to the one who, who adds or increases things that are not to him. And then we have the expression, Ad Matai. Until when? How long is another way that we can think of it, but literally, unto when? When are they going to learn? This is not satisfying. This is not related to the purposes of God. These things aren't good. These things aren't satisfying. These things produce nothing that is, is beneficial to the people. But what happens? Because they're deceived, because they're in bondage, they go on doing that same thing over and over and over, never finding peace, never finding joy, never finding contentment, never finding anything that is, is of that which is good. That's what he's saying here. And then finally it says, and being weighed down. Now, this is a word, machbid. It comes from a Hebrew word, kaved. Kaved is the noun form, or really an adjective, which means heavy. So this is a verbal construction, the hifil, which means to be heavy or to be made heavy or to be weighed down. And what is he weighed down with? Notice, as, as we could say, setting upon himself, being weighed down, being, being placed heaviness upon him. And then we have the phrase, avtit, which is tit is kind of like uh, a plaster, a, a form of, of uh, plaster is the best way to think of it. This is kind of a, a mud with, with a, a material in it used for building, and it's heavy. Anything that's water, has a water base with, with some type of other material, it's heavy. So he's being weighed down with this, this thick, this thick plaster. And this is what such behavior brings about. Now, again, some of the scholars see it as almost a self-burial. But being weighed down, feeling stress, anxiety, pressure, the, the weight of the world being placed upon you, this is what happens when you act in pride. Pride produces nothing that's good, nothing that's satisfied, nothing of what you think you want. You go after the things that pride leads you to, and in the end, you know what you feel? More empty. Does not satisfy. It leads you wanting more and wanting more in a very strong way. You're frustrated, and you're almost out of control. That's what happens when you are led by pride. And now let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Surely, suddenly. Now, some see this as a, a prophetic message concerning the suddenness of Babylon's demise. I've said several times, Babylon's not going to continue 
as long as as many thought that empire being so strong being so so wealthy accomplishing so much in a relatively short period of time compared to other empires they thought babylon was here to stay for a long long time but but it was not it wasn't meant to be why because of its wickedness look at verse 7 surely suddenly and then we have a phrase no shecha if you look at the various ways that this is translated it all falls into two one is the word no shech can be a biter the one who bites you but some say it has to do with a word which means a a creditor some interpret it to mean this that God has kind of uh, bankrolled them meaning he's allowed them to become very wealthy he's allowed them to become very powerful and with this he's going to use them not force them not call them to do that not encourage them to do it but this is their nature this is what pride produced and God is free to use it and the point is this that that their creditor is going to say enough payday is is today now if you translate it as biting it simply means that that they are going to the one who is going to bite them is going to rise up suddenly and it says and and they will wake up in a shocking way so what i see is that they are going to be dealt with there's going to be a running out of of what they have they were wealthy they were powerful but it's going to wear out it's going to come to a stop and those who are opposed to them are going to destroy them why this very simple principle what goes around comes around the 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 sword that you use to to kill one that sword is going to be used upon you it's that same principle the measure that you measure with will be measured back unto you so this is what it's saying here and is going to be done in a shocking way some will say in a terrifying way and then look at the end of verse 7 and you who were the plundering one so so babylon who was the one who plundered who took spoils it says you were the one who plundered and you'll be plundered by them so there's one coming that is going to take control of babylon's assets and we know what it is the medes and the persians so god allows babylon to rise up god uses them but no sooner do they rise up after a sh few short short decades god says enough what you did to judah is going to be visited back upon you because you did it for unrighteous reasons you did it because of your pride last verse look at verse 8 for you plundered many nations that's what they were about they wanted to increase their wealth what did they do they looked at someone and as we we talked about 
they would look at someone and say, guilty. But if you look at the scholars, what they say is that this was just an excuse. They would look to see who could they defeat, who had something that they wanted. And anyone who had that, that what they desired, they would say, you're guilty, therefore you should be punished. We're going to carry it out in order that they could plunder that people. It was a, a pretense in order to get what they wanted. And what goes around comes around. This is the message. Look again at verse 8. For you who plundered many nations, it says, all the rest of the peoples, they will, will plunder you. And then it says, more bloodshed, talking about the blood of men, and also what? Violence. Now, this is a, a prophecy that is going to be visited back on Babylon because of what they did. If you look at this, we see the rest of the people, those that you didn't conquer, they're going to conquer you. There's going to be bloodshed, the blooding of uh, the bloodshed of, of men, and also what? Hamas, violence for the sake of violence. Violence that is a, an addiction for for individuals they like the suffering the pain causing misery hearing the weeping the screams of agony of suffering there's people who like that this brings them pleasure but a fleeing one then they have to do it again they're in bondage to this wickedness and who are they serving they're serving the enemy so he says you're going to be plundered by the rest of the people because of the bloodshed, the, the bleeding of men, and the violence of the land and of the city and all the ones that dwell in it. What we see is there's going to be a specific judgment day for the Babylonians. Now let's conclude with this. We need to realize that when we say no to God, I'll choose what I want. I'll do it my way. I want to achieve what I want to achieve. I want to have the things that I want to have. When you think that way, you are not going to fulfill the law. What's the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. You're not loving your neighbor. You're not blessing them. You're not being a positive influence in them. What are you doing? You're sizing them up, just like Babylon did. What can I get from them? How can I exploit, use them? And when you behave in that way, and this is what the world is going to be characterized by in the last days, that Babylonian spirit, this spirit that's in conflict with the law, which is to love your neighbor, to bless your neighbor, it's going to be the opposite. They're going to behave, the world's going to behave in this way. Ultimately, they're going to come to Jerusalem and God's going to say at that time, no, these are my covenant people. These are the ones that my son died to redeem. And God's going to move in a mighty way to fulfill his covenant promise as well. Habakkuk, a great prophecy. And we'll continue in the second half of chapter 2 next week when we gather for midnight at Jerusalem. When we study God's word, we want to apply it to our life.
that we might be pleasing examples of the disciples of Messiah Shua. I'll close with that. Until next week, Shalom. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. <music>